Patchwork Heart Ministry is committed to sowing hope into broken hearts by helping young people encounter the love of Jesus Christ and His Catholic Church through prayer, storytelling, and media initiatives. We invite you to prayerfully consider supporting this mission financially. Mail your tax-deductible donation to Patchwork Heart Ministry at P.O. Box 563 Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, zip code 53147 or visit patchworkheart.org to donate online. That's Patchwork Heart Ministry, P.O. Box 563, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, 53147, or online at patchworkheart.org. Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. Hello and welcome to the Sewing Hope podcast. This is Ann DeSantis with you. Unfortunately, my co-host Bill Snyder is not able to join us on this evening, but we do have an amazing guest here on the Sewing Hope podcast. We have Erin McCall Cup, and she is a wife, mother, and also a lay Dominican. I'm going to read her bio on about the author. Uh, lives with her family of a vertebrae somewhere out of the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. When Erin is not writing, cooking, or parenting, she can be found reading, dancing English country, and dragging loved ones to visitor centers at tour spots around the country. And then we can get to know her at her own website, which is erinmccolcup.com. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, it's it's an honor to have you here because I know we've been communicating for uh, some months now and here the day is finally here. We have the, the podcast. We could learn more about you and your writing with our, our Sunday visitor. It's OSV, if anyone wants to check that out. The name of her book is called All Things New, Breaking the Cycle and Raising a joyful family. And I thought I could also read from your website that you are a writer, a speaker, and a believer that mental health and spiritual health are key in breaking cycles of bondage to destructive patterns in our relationships, especially in our relationship with ourselves. I think that's very important. And I know we're going to unpack all of that uh, during this podcast. Why don't we just start with you? Now, you're a native of where I'm from. We're both from the, the greater Philadelphia area. That's right. Five county area. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Not too far away from one another. So um, let's just start with you, your early life and anything you want to share about how you became a writer. Oh, sure. Um, well, let's see. I grew up in a family that was Catholic. I did go to Catholic schools, but it was very much um, I went to Catholic schools through um, 12th grade, graduated Lansdale Catholic, go Crusaders. <laughs> and um but the, the experience of my faith was very much um, something that was in the classroom or in church and, and not really so much lived out through relationship. Um, my family was active in, in scouting in different ways. So, you know, there was service to others involved, but really when it came down to relationship service to each other wasn't really a... a it wasn't a, a source of connection in our family. Um, so that made the, the lived experience of my faith very difficult. 
I've heard it said from several sources that our image of God tends to be formed by the picture that is created by our earthly parents. And my relationship with my earthly parents um, has always been very strained, very difficult. Um, I, I attribute that with as much empathy as I can through my own wounds to their wounds. Um, you know, we all make choices often enough out of our hurts rather than out of trust in God. It's a very human thing to do. Um, and, and so unfortunately that shaped my image of God as this uh, sort of distant person who I needed to work really hard not to get screamed at. <laughs> so um, by with that, um, by the time I was, I'm going to say in, in high school, um, early high school, I was, a, I was an atheist. Um, by the end of high school, I was sort of this like, you know, spiritual, but not religious agnostic. Like there's, there's something out there. I don't know what it is, but it, it's out there and it's not, you know, with me. So I'm just going to you know, go with, go with doing what I want. Um, the funny thing is, you know, you did ask, you know, how I became a writer in eighth grade at my grade school, everybody had to write a term paper. And since it was the eighties, here I am dating myself. Um, the term paper topic that I chose was missing children. And I don't quite know why I picked it other than it was sort of like a hot topic. I remember there was like this one HBO series that I watched kind of obsessively, obsessively about, you know, children that were missing and how they went missing, sort of like, you know, all the true crime document, do, documentaries that people watch now. Um, and I would really watch that very obsessively. And so I did my term paper on missing children. And I remember reading, you know, doing my research and reading about the, the symptoms that children had, those few who were thankfully recovered and returned home, they had all of these symptoms of, and behavioral symptoms that they brought home with them. So they didn't like being touched. They were afraid of loud noises. They isolated, they um, lied easily. And I remember being in eighth grade and thinking, well, this sounds like me. This is kind of weird. <laughs> mm. So it, it, I'd like to think that the start of my journey of recovering from family abuse and dysfunction started in eighth grade. It started with reading that paper and thinking, why, why am I seeing myself in all of these symptoms from these children? I've never been kidnapped. I don't have trauma. Mm. What's going on? So that was, you know, with me. That's always been with me, really. And then by the time I got to college, I was a theater major. Um, I was in plays in high school and grade school when we had them. And um, so I went to college, I was a theater major. And, you know, I'm constantly, I was constantly being in all these, you know, different roles, different people, different performances, um, kind of running from myself. And wouldn't, you know, at the second semester of my freshman year of college, I get cast as a child abuse survivor. And I remember the first night we blocked the scene uh, that I was in that where that, you know, information was kind of revealed. Um, and blocking is where people are like, you, you're told where to stand and where to sit and when to move. So the first night we blocked that scene, I basically had a nervous breakdown in front of the whole cast of my peers, which <laughs> was humiliating. Mm. But um, I remember I went home, went home. I went back to my dorm room that night and I was just kind of staring off into 
a wall in space at, to, at a wall at my you know quilt whatever and just thinking that my reaction to that script and that scene there was something wrong I didn't know what it was and at the time like I said I was um I was agnostic but not really I, I was actually going to mass but that was more out of superstition than anything else because if there was a god I didn't want to be ticking him off any more than I already had so um you know I was still going to mass but not really having any kind of spiritual life and that night and you know was in that sort of trance I remember saying okay god or whatever you are I want to know the truth whatever that truth is I want to know what it is and I'll do anything to get it because I know what I have is so terrifying and so unstable that the truth will be stable. And I want that. And I don't know how many um, converts and reverts you've talked to over the years, but the one thing that I have noticed is that everybody who says to God, I want the truth. You end up Catholic. <laughs> it's, <laughs> all, it's almost hilarious. Um, that just, that's where we end up. So it took me about a year of praying and searching. At the time, I just kind of thought that um, I was going to be Buddhist or um, Wiccan, which is basically witchcraft. Because at the time, I was um, reading palms and tarot cards. I had a, a, you know, connection to the occult, unfortunately. And um, the the more I, you know, explored and prayed, the more Christianity just made sense and. I remember praying to God, like, okay, I'll be Christian. That's fine. Cause that's the truth. But whatever you do, don't make me Catholic because <laughs> nobody <laughs> likes Catholics. I don't even like Catholics. So here I am <laughs> 20 some years later, Catholic <laughs> and loving it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So that's my journey of how I came from, you know, this very painful experience in childhood through childhood to the faith and to writing about it. Now that that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your, a little bit of your journey. And I know we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, your book is wonderful. I have the book itself and I, I do book reviews for a lot of the different publishing companies. And so it was a real blessing to be able to receive your book. And the subtitle is Breaking the Cycle and Raising a Joyful Family. So I think that's an amazing piece of who you are as well, that although you had a, a challenging and difficult journey at the beginning of your life, and you were on that pathway to finding the truth, is that your book, really, the end result is that Raising a Joyful Family. Tell us a little bit, bit more about that, because you, you are a mom, too. You're balancing so much. And, and what is your life now, like right now with raising kids? Well, the thing I, that I like about um, that title, Raising a Joyful Family, is it's not raising a perfect family. You know, it's not even raising a happy family because happiness itself can be idolized, um, this experience of earth, earthly pleasures. And I include in that title, earthly pleasures, the feeling of being approved of by our spouses and even by our children, because that's something that has led me to make a lot of parenting mistakes is I was afraid of my own children's reactions and was not there for them, whether it was through, um, you know, dissociating, 
you know, when when they were needy in in need, um, legitimate need, or through you know trying to overpower them with my anger when they were behaving in a way I didn't want. So that's one of the things I put in the book, and that I say whenever I have the opportunity, do not look to me for an example of perfect parenting because if you do, you will be severely disappointed. <laughs> I am nobody's perfect parent. I make mistakes. I'd love to say daily, but really it's hourly. <laughs> I make lots of mistakes all the time. And what writing this book taught me is that in order to have joy, what we really need to have is repentance. We need to be willing to surrender what we were doing and embrace what God wants us to do, even if it's incredibly painful in the moment. Um, one of the lessons that I've learned in my trauma recovery journey is the power of this image of God as the God of colic. I know, in, you know, I was just speaking a few moments ago about how my image of God was of this, you know, distant guy who um, was looking for opportunities to be angry with me. And what I have discovered in trying to recover from avoiding God's anger and instead embracing a relationship with God is God is not like that at all. Our feelings, our pain, our emotions don't inconvenience him in the least. They are his gift to us to help us make sense of our world around us so that we can interact and connect and discover places where we are safe, where we can see his face and feel his love inside our heart and our relationships. So I liken that to the, the relationship I'm building with God now is I'm building a relationship, not with an angry God, but with the God of colic. Anybody who's had colicky babies, and I have had three, two of them at once, because I have my first set were twins, um, knows that the baby is crying, babies, whatever you've got there, and the baby is crying inconsolably. It doesn't last forever, but it lasts a long time. And I wish I had known this when I had colicky babies, that that's actually an opportunity for the parent to show the face of God's love to that child in, in pain and discomfort. Not your crying is bothering me. I got to find a way to turn it off, but I am here for you. Your pain does not bother me. You can be feeling whatever you're feeling in this moment. And I am here for you. So, so much of my life before trauma recovery was about trying to exchange emotions, trying to get rid of the pain that I was having, whether it was from, you know, finding out that something I had done disappointed somebody I love to my, um, yes. Wow. Thank you for sharing on all of this, all of these points, because I think what you have done is you have taken the pain of your life. And you have turned it around by trusting God, by listening, right? You're listening to his voice in, in all that you do. And you have turned it around also by your, the reflections. Because, you know, when you're a writer, you also know how to reflect. And you know, you learn how to listen to his voice. Now, there's a lot of balancing going on there too, I'm sure. A lot of balancing with... Um, the kids and with, uh, with everything. So I just want to thank you so much for everything that you do. So why don't we turn a little bit to the book itself and how did the idea come and what was it like for you to write this book? Well, um, it's funny because I do 
think that this book is definitely the fruit of Eucharistic adoration. A few years ago, um, my parish, I'm blessed to have a parish with a perpetual adoration chapel. And they were looking for to add more adorers to the schedule. So my kids were old enough and the schedule was kind of in a place. I'm like, yeah, I could probably add an hour a week. And so I started going and during um, my time, my holy hour once a week, eventually I got this idea. I'm like, you know, someday I write, I was writing fiction at the time. And I just kind of like, you know, someday it would be probably helpful to write about the things that I've learned in trying to parent differently than I was parented myself. So I just kind of wrote some notes, jotted down like a brief outline, you know, in my prayer journal, put it away. And wouldn't you know it, a few weeks or months later, briefly thereafter, a colleague at OSV um, emailed me and said, hey, do you have any ideas for nonfiction right now? I know you usually write fiction. I'm like, funny enough, <laughs> great timing that you would ask now because I have some ideas and here's here's my favorite. And it was this book. And um, so yeah, that that's where that started. What was it like writing this book? When I started writing it, I knew I was going to learn something because every writing project I have ever had in my life, God has always used to teach me something big, including that eighth grade term paper of all things. So I was, as I was working on this, I knew that I had a lot to learn, but as I'm gathering the information, the research information for each chapter, I'm like, oh, wow, look at this thing I've been doing that's destructive. Oh, wow, look at this thing that I've been doing that's ruining my relationship with my kids. Ooh, oh, wow, okay. So <laughs> this book has been very instrumental in um, teaching me helping me see how far I had come before I started writing it, but also how far I still had to go and how, how far I still have to go today from where I'm at. That's why it's so important for me to, you know, make sure people know that don't look to me for some great parenting example. In fact, I dedicate the book to my children um, saying that they will gleefully tell you how often I fail to take my own advice because <laughs> it's true. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're not stupid. They know when I make mistakes. <laughs> And they'll tell you too. Yeah. Kids, kids are great that way because I think no matter how old they are, uh, the, the openness that most, most kids have with their parents in, in at least being able to tell the truth. Right. So, you know, that when your child tells you something, I think depending on the relationship that you have, of course, uh, you know, that you won't be getting something that's uh, an out and out lie. And, uh, you know, but of course all situations are different there, but I know with my own kids, uh, sometimes it's pain, they're painfully honest with me. Yeah. And well, actually, and that when my kids are painfully honest with me, um, which is happening more and more, I don't know if that's how much of that is because they're maturing and how much of that is because I am maturing, mm -hmm. um, in my own, you know, accountability that, if they are painfully honest, that's a gift. It's because they want us to become safe people mm. to connect with. And I just, when my kids tell me things in the moment that hurt and for which I have to apologize, like in the moment, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty triggering. I'm really upset. My body gets all tense. I'm, you know, re-experiencing the rejection I felt from my parents so often, mm. but it's, I, I just, after, in, in the moments afterwards, I tend to reflect and think, wow, okay, this is actually a tool that they are handing me saying, hey, can you be a safer person for me? 
and what a loss it is for the parents who rebel at that and say, no, I don't want to be safe for my child. I want to be right. Um, I would rather be wrong and be a more loving parent than I was yesterday than to always be right in my own mind because more families have been broken by that, I think, than by, by anything. Yeah, poor communication is, uh, I think, the root one of the roots. And of course, there's always spiritual connections in everything that we do and all the facets of our relationships. Uh, turning to the book again, I noticed that you started out with those two great commandments, and then you go into the Beatitudes, which is beautiful. So how did these ideas come to you? Because I love the Beatitudes. And of course, the two great commandments, there's no nothing more important than those Right. I think how um, those came to me is sort of the structure, the framework for the, the lessons um, that are available in this book are that so many of us, myself included, come to parenting with this list of, well, I know what not to do. <laughs> like I basically kind of, you know, approached parenting with this list of, okay, these are the ways that my, my parents made choices that have caused me pain and still cause me pain. So I won't do those things. But what was missing was what to do, the, the positive choices to make, the ways to connect. And so just like the 10 commandments are the thou shalt nots overwhelmingly, obviously. Um, the greatest commandment, the love God and love your neighbor as yourself and the Beatitudes, especially the Beatitudes, since they are... Um, the Beatitudes were delivered up from a mountain. They're the Sermon on the Mount. They're the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And just like Moses went up and got the law, Jesus went up the mountain and gave the law and showed the law himself. And so the Beatitudes are sort of like the the, the aspect of the new covenant of here's what to do, which is what those of us who come from parenting abuse and dysfunction, when we are you know coming to be parents ourselves, we also need what to do. We need the positive. We need the Beatitudes. We need God's love. We need to love God and we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that as ourselves piece is so huge because it's not something often enough that we were taught um, by parents who were wrongly spirited themselves. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a great topic because you don't hear many writers or speakers talk much about poor parenting and the effects of that on an adult and then ways to move on from that like you do. I don't think I've heard that before. So I, especially in Catholic circles, talk a lot about being a good parent and, and all the things you need to do to be a good Catholic parent, but not so much about dealing with what happened to you in, in your trauma and in your past. I mean, if, I think there's a lot in the charismatic renewal with uh, there's a book called Unbound. I think you know about that book too. And the whole idea of like being able to renounce the, the vice and the things that have happened to us to be able to call on the Holy Spirit and be healed, right? And that whole idea of, well, what is healed? And I don't know if you agree with this, but I think part of healing is also that we come to that realization that we are in a sinful world and things ha do happen. And unfortunately, there is sin and I think what, it's almost an acceptance of what has happened to us in the past and being able to still step forward in a good way, in a correct way with God to move on in faith and not lose your faith over it. 
because God doesn't take that magic wand and fix everything all the time, right? He can. Yes. He rarely does. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he's mean. <laughs> it's not because he's trying to torture us. Um, for a very long time, I thought it was because he was mean and holding out on me. You mentioned that charismatic renewal. Um, when I was talking about my conversion experience in college, I was very involved in, um, after I decided to, to throw my hat in with Catholicism, um, I, I was very involved in charismatic prayer and was utterly baffled as to why I wasn't getting healed. And now I see it's because God needed me, not needed, God needs nothing for me. God wanted me to experience his love as being not turning off my emotions, not shutting me up, uh, uh, but instead to experience, he wanted me to experience, wants me today to experience his love as accepting and embracing and holding and not being overpowered by, you know, my pain. And that's why I, I know I heard you say that, um, you know, not many people are writing about this in, in Catholic circles. It's funny. I have several writer friends, um, some of whom have experienced similar upbringings, um, obviously not exactly the same. And all of them were like, wait, you're writing about this while your parents are still alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so it, it's, it's a scary thing because there, and I actually address this in the book, there's a lot of pressure that. To, to sort of misinterpret honor your father and mother mm-hmm. oh yeah um, that you know if you are speaking up about sin in your family of origin that the one who is is speaking out against that sin is is in fact sinning in telling that truth and I, I make the case that that's not the case that that God wants us to, have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means we need to have this sensitivity of conscience that tells us when we are doing wrong and so that we can repent. But if we only turn that to ourselves and don't recognize that others are also doing wrong and reject not the people, but the sin and the patterns, then we put ourselves at a disadvantage. We are in fact, in a way, hiding in the garden with Adam and Eve, trying to cover up what God did not design to stay covered. Mm, good way to put it. I never heard Anything. it said that way. And and can I say also, I agree with you that the fact that your parents are alive and you're writing about this, um, you haven't said anything terrible about your 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 family or your parents. I mean, I don't think... But it's an awareness that we all have. I think it's a maturity that it takes to say, you know what? I wasn't raised perfectly, right? And some of it wasn't just, quote, me. Does that make sense? It wasn't just me. It was the circumstance. Because sin does exist. Let's face it. You know, even in the most perfect families that we see on social media, when we scroll and watch the go through and look at the big, beautiful families that are there, right? And think, oh, they're probably perfect. But even those families have something, right? There's something going on um, that we might not know about. So I just think it's a beautiful thing. And and I, I'm glad that you and I, I think we come to agreement that, yeah, that healing doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. It really doesn't. And, and I think your book also talks about that too, because the way that we become perfect, especially that you turn to the Beatitudes, in my opinion, is that you are pointing people 
not to fix their lives, but to go ahead and find the people who to try to make the most of the rest of your life by, by loving God and serving God. And I just want to interject for a second, because I think our two pathways are crossed because I also just wrote a book, a shorter book. It's called Love and Care for the Marginalized. And it's, it, there's a crossing there because my book focuses on who are those people? They're not just the homeless and, and the poor, which of course we always want to have a heart for them and care about them. But the marginalized people are really everywhere in our lives. They're everywhere. They're in our neighborhoods, our, our churches, our families, our extended families. They're everywhere. And so I just commend you for, for that recognition of how you've used these beatitudes because, you know, they're an important message from Christ. We can't ignore them. Mm-hmm. We can't ignore what God, what God is speaking to us. Now, I also love, can I tell people in your book that you, you do the chapter, which is the, the you know, the, the actual meat of the, the chapters. But then at the end, you have um, workshop and um, some prayer and also saint inspiration. Let's talk about those things. So how did you come up with this idea that you did the chapter, which is a typical, you know, way that you present, but then at the end, you have these special little sections too. Sure. Well, I definitely wanted to lead um, the readers into prayer because that is the place where I want to say we meet God, where God meets us, where we can, that we have that opportunity to, for that veil to be lifted. And in, in the moment of prayer, it's kind of funny. I, I think I really like came to full realization of this after the book came out of how much of my prayer life I have spent dissociated. For those who don't know, dissociation is sort of when you, your brain sort of escapes reality and starts thinking about something, anything that's not in front of you. Um, so for instance, for years and years and years, as a lay Dominican, I'm praying the Liturgy of the Hours. I'm praying, um, I'm doing Lectio Divina, I'm doing the Rosary. And for most of that time, I was not actually praying. I was using that time to like, okay, here are all my problems and here's how I'm going to fix them. Um, and here's how mad I am at God for not fixing them for me. So now I have to do it. And that's really just a form of dissociation. I was just overthinking all of my problems instead of actually becoming present to God in prayer um, and just letting God do what God does, which is lead us to him. So I'm glad I ended up putting prayer in each chapter because that's the opportunity where we, you know, let our hearts, we can choose to let our hearts be opened up so that God can kind of get in there and tinker um, and do, do what he knows is best for us. We might have this list of things we want him to do for us to make us feel better right away, but that's not his way. His way is to lead us to him, not to fix us so much. Mm-hmm. Because this, like you were talking about, this world is, is this is a sinful world. Um, I think one of the lies that sins tell us, sin tells us is that we could ever be satisfied here. We were designed to be satisfied by this world. My argument is that everybody is traumatized. I mean, I've got a lot of people reading this book and saying, well, I'm not traumatized like you were. And I'm like, yeah, but you were built for a paradise and you live here, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you live in this fallen world. So in a way you're traumatized too. Everybody's been traumatized and, and prayer gives us that opportunity to, you know, walk back into Eden, to face that fiery sword that, you know, the angel keeps, uh, uses to keep us at bay and 
go, go back into what God intended for us, which is walking with him. And then for the um, Beatitude Basics workshop, those are just little tools at the end of each chapter that you can use to journal and sort of reframe your life in terms of the two greatest commandments and the Beatitudes. So I do encourage a lot of journaling. Journaling is a great place to, you know, rework your thoughts, to take some time to yourself with God and reframe the way you have been looking at your world, whether it's um, whether you need to replace complaint with gratitude, whether you need to replace harshness with self-compassion, whatever it is, it's the Beatitudes basic workshop at the end of each chapter is a way to take the focus of each chapter and, and sort of find some ways that you can actually practice that in your life. And then saint inspiration. See, I love the saints. I know everybody loves the saints, but I really love the saints because, especially as a survivor of family abuse and dysfunction, because I, I love the Holy Family, but Jesus doesn't know what it's like. I mean, he, he knows, but he did not have that lived experience that say Thomas Aquinas did, where his own mother tried to turn him from his vocation by having his brothers kidnap him, bring him back to the family castle and lock him in his room with a prostitute. Like what a betrayal, what a betrayal of truth and the dignity of your own child. Jesus did not experience that because his mom was perfect, but St. Thomas Aquinas did. Mm -hmm. And he still came out on the other side, glorifying God with everything he did. Um, same for St. Zaylee Martin. She's in there too. Um, she, I, I like to call her Ma Petite Maman, which is French for my little mommy, because I, I feel like she and I went through so many of the same experiences growing up. She described her own childhood as, as, as sad as a burial shroud, like because she was raised with harshness and coldness. Her mother wouldn't let her have any toys, any dolls. And yet she, St. Zaylee, got so close to God that she was able to be this source of compassion and faith and example for all of these children, I believe all of which are at this point somewhere on the road to sainthood. So that's the power of the saint stories to show us you know, how repentance can help us step out of those unhealthy patterns that we may have been taught by our own broken families and step into God's grace. I have to say, I just love what you just said and those endings of each chapter, because like you were discussing, there is that beatitude workshop and then some kind of an act of contrition and the saint spiration, which is just amazing. And it's, I, I've learned so much just from reading about these saints here. I want to read a little bit of what you have in one of the Beatitude Basic Workshops, um, and it's under Blessed Are the Peacemakers on Transparency. You say, practice listening to conflict, both external and internal, without automatically reaching for the mute button. Ask God to show you what he might want you to learn about his love through the experience of this conflict. If sitting with these big feelings seem unbearable, seek trusted counsel on how to, to develop this skill. So what you're doing here is you're giving like real life help for people. So I think that's one of the best things I like about the book. I don't know about you, but have you thought about the idea of doing some kind of like, I think you could do some kind of online workshops with your own Zoom meetings 
and and just put it out there to your to your audience. I, I think that would be a great idea. And have you thought about doing anything like that? Um, it's funny you should bring that up because I am working right now on um, something that actually came out of writing the chapter on blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. A lot of childhood trauma survivors um, turn to addictions to comfort the pain that that trauma brought. And I am no exception. So part of writing this book ended up with me working on my addiction to compulsive overeating. Um, I I mentioned it in the book that uh, since starting that recovery program, I have lost um, at the time of publication, I had lost a lot of weight. Um, As of today, I've lost nearly a hundred pounds. So what I'm working on right now is a course uh, that you can you study on your own time um, called Filled with Good, Theology of the Body for Food Addicts. And it's this walk through how our addiction to um, various things, but especially the, the readily available substance of food, how that connects to St. John Paul II's teaching of theology of the body and how we can use the, the tools that that he has given us and how the tools that even secular um, trauma work provides, how those all overlap and intersect in these mind-blowingly amazing ways to help us develop the to develop those skills basically that we need to withstand all of the brain messages that our pain if afflicted brains are sending us, telling us that the only way we can get through this pain is with food for those of us who are food addicts. Um, and that actually translates also to the next course I'm hoping to do is how to stop yelling. <laughs> because as a parent, I write in the book about how I just thought I was a yeller. I thought that was just part of my, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm a yeller. But the more I study, the more I realize I, I'm not a yeller. I am reacting to the pain of having been raised by emotionally immature people. And um, the children, they're supposed to be emotionally immature. So our children are going to trigger us because they often enough act in ways that our parents did to cause us pain. So yeah, I'm working on some courses. I'm really excited about um, being able to share the tools that my study has given me, that God has given me through my study and through my healing work. And I'm hoping that these courses will be able to give, you know, condense several years of my study at work <laughs> into, you know, brief, brief pieces that people can use to their own benefit much more quickly than, than I had to. Um, but yeah, to get to those, um, I encourage you go to my website, erinmccolecup.com. What I have on my website is um, a quiz called What is Your Rut Busting Beatitude? If you take this quiz, I am going to send you a free chapter of all things new based specifically on your personal quiz results. So a machine is not picking this right now. I am. I'm going to pick this for you and then send it to you. You'll also get subscribed to my newsletter and all of my newsletter subscribers will be entered into a lottery. Those who, who you will have the opportunity to sign up to be entered into a lottery to take these courses for free when they are in beta test version so that you have the opportunity to be the first to know. So yeah, if those types of um, learning things are, are of interest to you, do check out my website, do check out the, what, what is your rut busting, the attitude quiz. And uh, hopefully I can provide you with some resources that will really help you boost your spiritual life, 
and also your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, even with your family of origin. That is beautiful. Wow. It, that's a, and it's very exciting because it's, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, Every time I'm do, learn, doing the research, I'm like, oh, look at this. Look at this new thing. This is so cool. It's very, I like the, what, what you're doing that it's very proactive. So you didn't just write a book and the book is sitting there for people to read. And, and once they're done, they put it down and then they pick up another book. It's something that they can really live out. And it, to me, it's very inviting. You're very inviting mm. in this way because let's face it. I think you made a good point with food and and, and that doesn't really matter, honestly, how big or small someone is. You can still abuse food, even if you're not uh, obesely overweight or anything like that. People abuse food, even if they are smaller people, I think, because yeah. if, they're not, if they're not eating healthy. And also, I have to congratulate you. That is incredible that you lost 100 pounds. I mean... Oh my goodness. Almost, I, almost. I got to put that caveat on there. I'm, I'm coming up on 110, 100, yeah. 100 pounds. May I ask, I'm sure you've gotten this question before. May I ask what was your, uh, what was the program? It, was it something, I'm sure that you encompass spirituality, your spirituality into it as well, but did you use a specific program or was it just uh, being more careful with your, your habits? Well, it's definitely, it, it had to be a holistic approach for me. A lot of spirituality, um, a lot of therapy, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I write in the book a lot about, um, about my experience of coming to approach food addiction recovery. And also in the back of the book, as well as on my website, I list resources for, um, anybody who is interested in pursuing a more spiritual approach, a combination of a spiritual and mental health approach to tackling whatever your addiction is, whether it is, um, food as in my case, or um, any number of other things, alcohol, drugs, gambling, uh, because behavior is, our poor behavior choices can definitely become addictions and, you know, detach us from God's will for us. So yeah, definitely uh, anybody who's interested in more about my journey, I, I encourage you to check out at least my website and go to the resources tab. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I'd love to read some of the recommendations that you received uh, maybe I won't read every one of them, but at least I want to tell everyone who these people are. And, and I'd like to read one or two is that you have Danielle Bean, who's the brand manager of catholicmom.com, Gary Zimak, the best-selling author, speaker, and radio host, Lisa Hendy, the author of I'm a Saint in the Making, and Damon and Melanie Owens, co-founders of Joyful Ever After Movement for Married Couples. I must say you have a great list of recommendations there and um, beautiful work. Let's read uh, a couple of them. I'd like to read Danielle Beans is bold, compassionate, refreshing, and insightful. Erin McCall Cup grapples with stories from her painful past, looking at them now through the eyes of faith as she walks us through the process of doing the same. What a gift to, imp to imperfect families everywhere. And again, Danielle Bean. And let's read also the one from Gary Zimak, Aaron McCall Cup provides a way to forward, a way, excuse me, a way forward for those wishing to break the cycle of past hurts and raise their children in a positive, loving manner. Well done, Gary Zimak. And coming from Gary Zimak, that's that's a nice compliment. It is. I'm so yeah. honored. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm so grateful for, for the feedback that that all of the um, advanced reviewers offered. It's been it, it's been very 
validating and just fills me with gratitude. Validating is a great word. I like that. And especially with you were talking about uh, throughout this podcast, you know, your experience with growing up and everything. And, and, and I've learned that on my own, uh, in my own faith journey, that validation from God, but in our own hearts and sometimes through other people is a good thing. And so I think that's uh, incredible and wonderful, all the work that you're doing. I love the book cover too. The book cover is a picture of, it looks like a man's hands and then the woman and then the child and inside the child's hands, all the hands are together is a heart. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book cover? I just think it's lovely. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just a big fan of uh, the Virgin Mary blue that's on the back. <laughs> now you uh-huh. all know my favorite color. Um, that was just an accident though. The, the cover artist, you know, chose that color. Oh. But I just love the idea of the family, you know, the, the layers of family that, you know, are, that God designed to, you know, cradle our hearts. And I mean, I realize it's like a, a, a little, you know, piece of ceramic heart or something like that, but uh, like a heart shaped, you know, piece of art, so to speak. But just the idea that, you know, this, the smallest hands cradle the fragilest hearts and that our job as parents to support that is to support that and to, to be gentle and present. Like those hands visually are, I think it's lovely. It really is. And I have to say, I get books all the time uh, from different publishers because I'm also an author with Catholic mom, as you are. And so I get anywhere between two to two to five books a month. But I have to say the cover of your book and your book itself is just really top class. I mean, it's, it's beautiful and you did a wonderful job. So congratulations. And I would just invite our listeners, please do check out her website again at erinmccollcup.com. Now, as we're coming to a close, did you have any final words before we end or call to action? Maybe there's something that you want to tell us what's going on the rest of this year. Um, well, again, the, the thing I'm working on right now is that filled with good course, uh, definitely go to my website, take the, what is your rut busting beatitude quiz that will get you in touch with me personally and get you on the newsletter. So you have a chance to find out about the course before anybody else does. Um, and even if that course is just not your thing, every quarter, um, every season, basically, I, I promise not to spam you with my newsletter. I'll be sending out, um, opportunities for connection, um, and for some encouragement and just tips for, you know, practical living our relationships in a more godly way every day. That that's, that's really the, the heart of what I want to do for, for the folks who, who connect with me. Mm, thank so yes, you visit so my much. website, take that quiz. Yes. And I'm excited too, because you're going to be a guest with me in the fall with a foundation that I represent the St. Raymond and Foundation. We're going to have another video interview this time, not an audio. And, and so we'll be, we'll be doing more things together. So I will ask everybody to keep an eye on, on my own platforms. And Bill and I would probably be, love to have you back again for part two, maybe part three, who knows? <laughs> uh, That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would like for you to meet him, of course, since he wasn't able to be here with us this time around. So again, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. And, and we will see all of you next time here on the Sewing Hope Podcast. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. 
You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or AndySantis2. Did you enjoy this podcast? Listen to other podcasts from Patchwork Heart Ministry by following Patchwork Heart Radio wherever you listen to podcasts.